Welcome to New York, Quebec, and the water route to the center of the world. This is bonus episode 17, Folklore and Legend of the French Antilles. I love stories of cryptid creatures and folk legends. They are very useful indicators of cultural makeup. I was listening to a major podcast on the topic, and the presenter made an interesting point. He said that overseas legends are much more pure, while New World ones tend to get completely diluted. He mentioned tracking down these stories in places like Asia and Africa, while being met with extreme suspicion that he would somehow harm these cultural artifacts. Is there something unique about New World culture that encourages further hybridization of cultural folklore and welcomes radical individual interpretations to the table? Every tale I encounter is richly packed with incredible tidbits that both represent the syncretic roots and map the development of these unique societies through time. In previous Halloween specials, I've discussed phenomenon such as demonic possession and witchcraft in Quebec, where the tales illuminated the immigrant experience and demonstrated how women were carving out their own sphere of societal influence on the northerly syncretic frontier. I also discussed how stories of the Lugaru or werewolf in Quebec demonstrated cultural continuity across a severed geopolitical connection. In this episode, we'll turn our attention south to the Caribbean basin, where we'll explore the legends of the Rougarou in Louisiana, the Jay Rouge of Haiti, and the Sucuyan of the southern French Antilles. How does warm water, lush sandy beaches, or immense swamps connect to our story of New York and Quebec? That's an answer that can be found in the aftermath of the French and Indian War, where Louisiana is finally severed from French control during the dismantling of Nouvelle France, and much of the southern French Antilles experienced foreign occupation, and a cycle of warfare that would not cease for almost 50 years. While Louisiana and the islands of the Southern Antilles experienced their societal upheaval starting in 1763, Saint-Domingue, or the future Haiti, would be set ablaze in 1791, as slaves sought their freedom amidst the turmoil of the French Revolution. As is the case with Quebec, war and trauma play a huge role in the formation and continuous development of these folkloric tales. Whether it was the inhuman condition of slavery, or the forced cultural severance from the motherland, individual and public traumas are the canvas upon which these stories are painted. So let's start with Louisiana and the legendary werewolf-like creature locals call the Rougarou. At the very start of the French and Indian War, the former French province of Acadia was forcibly depopulated of its French inhabitants. Over 13,000 Francophone settlers would be deported against their will starting in 1755, several thousand of these settlers would make their way toward the newly acquired Spanish possession of Louisiana. Here, they were resettled originally as a bulk work against native and British intrusion from the north, but eventually made their way south into the bayou country surrounding New Orleans. The Cajun cultural development was ongoing when these northerly cousins were thrown into the mix of native African and Spanish cultural influences. African slave imports had started in 1719 and a thriving syncretic religious culture had already taken shape on the plantations of southern Louisiana, eventually referred to as voodoo. This system, mixed West African belief, sets with that of French Catholicism. Native populations passed their knowledge of the flora and fauna onto the newly arrived settlers and took in many runaway slaves. French became the standard medium of communication and exchange as European folkloric tales mixed with indigenous and African templates that became baked into the unique geographical background of the immense swamp. Werewolves are certainly not a new world invention and were prominently used as warnings to fulfill proper religious devotion in places like France. 
The tale morphs a bit in the bayous, though. Here the idea of someone under the deliberate curse of another takes precedent. Old world witchcraft blended with West African beliefs in magical curses, where an entire syncretic set of deities operates right below the surface of the Catholic Trinity. Here can be glimpsed the influence of voodoo on the tale, but what does this fantastical beast actually look like? The beast is said to stand a head taller than a man. At around seven to eight feet high, it's described as having a wolf or dogman-like head, with long arms that end in sharp claws, and the hunched, inward-facing legs of a canine. Its gaping maw is filled with razor-like teeth, and its eyes are a distinctive feature, reported to be either yellow or red. The reflection and size have sent many a swamp traveler scrambling for an exit. The curse that transforms one into a Rougarou is said to last 101 days. The accursed has the ability to pass on the malady to another by biting them. If those cursed fail in this task, they will remain damned to transform into the beast for the rest of their lives. In order to combat this monster, many say to confuse it with shiny coins left scattered on the steps to the house. The beast is said to be unable to count above the number 12. So the advice is always to leave 13 coins and force it into confusion. Being unable to count above the number 12, the beast will be distracted until sunrise and have to retreat. Other protection methods include the use of salt, which is said to cause the monster to catch on fire, and the wearing of spiritually imbued amulets. Now let's examine the native influence on the tale. Outside of reports on this dogman or werewolf-like monster, many eyewitness accounts tell of some sort of shape-shifting humanoid. This hybrid monster is commonly called the Honey Island Swamp Monster, with resemblance to Bigfoot reports mixed with owl features. The concept of a human being who possesses the power to take on the shape of the surrounding bayou creatures became intermingled with that of the European wolf. Even the concept of the trickster spirit of the lapin or rabbit is another shape-shifting piece of cultural influence from West Africa. Similar cultural conceptions separated by oceans, magnetically attracted and stuck together in the swamps of Louisiana. The unique French Creole culture waxed and waned as different imperial overlords came into possession of the territory. Purchased finally by the U.S. in 1803, Anglophone American culture came to predominate and isolate the once thriving set of syncretic New World beliefs and ways of life. As the French or Cajun identity became to be associated with backwardness, after the Civil War, these folkloric tales transformed into cherished pieces of cultural patrimony and a primary medium of exchange between generations. Starting in the 1960s, French language and culture have become the focus of incredible efforts at both preservation and elevation within the state. A major Rougarou festival now occurs annually on the French-speaking lands of the Huma native tribe of Pointe Chien. This represents a full 360 degree cycle for this wondrous francophone culture. A common celebration of an iconic part of Creole folklore is openly shared by all on the land where it was originally developed. I'll now include some eyewitness accounts of both the Rougarou and Honey Island Swamp Monster so the listener can make their own examination of these mysterious tales. A 1981 report by writer Jerry Bro pulled from the Advocate Archives recalls a conversation the writer had with his longtime friend Hubert. The friend described a chilling encounter one warm morning. Out hunting for deer, Hubert was perched atop an oak tree when he heard heavy sounds approaching from the woods behind him. Too afraid to move, he watched as a figure about eight feet tall and hairy from head to toe passed slowly below him, eventually disappearing further into the woods. According to Bro, as Hubert retold the story, he began clenching his teeth and breathing rapidly, 
as if he were reliving a terrifying experience. The Ford Story In the early 1960s, Harlan Ford and his friend Billy Mills, two air traffic controllers, embarked on a fateful journey along the Pearl River, forever entwining their names with the local legend of the Honey Island Swamp Monster. While out hunting, they ventured into Honey Island Swamp and stumbled upon a sight straight out of a horror movie. A towering creature, cloaked in grayish-brown hair and exuding a pungent odor, caught their gaze. However, the monster fled, and rain obliterated its tracks, leaving only the men's accounts to support their alleged encounter in the swampy backwaters. This marked the first reported sighting of the human-like being, but that wasn't the last they'd see of such a creature. In 1974, Louisiana's Honey Island Swamp Monster came to public attention after Ford and Mills emerged from a remote area with plaster casts of unusual tracks. They had happened upon a wild boar with a gashed throat, suggesting it had crossed paths with the beast with yellow eyes. A story in the Nicholsworth, a local college paper titled Rougarou Remains Strong Figure in Cajun Folklore, recounts a story from a woman about an experience in her youth. She says a local boy was being followed by a dog when he decided to cut it with his pocket knife. The boy saw the dog turn into a man, then ran home to tell his family. According to the woman, the next day a prominent physician appeared in town with his right arm cut and in a sling. I remember when the physician shot himself here in Lockport. A year later, the boy killed himself and left a letter that the family turned over to the sheriff. Even today, he refuses to let anyone see it. In 2010, a devastating earthquake struck the historically unique island nation of Haiti. Hundreds of thousands of Haitians were killed and millions made homeless. As the international community struggled to help respond to this huge disaster, reports began to emerge of a monstrous presence stalking the now dense dark refugee camps lining the destroyed streets of the capital, Port-au-Prince. Rumors began to quickly swirl off the return of the Jerouge, or the red-eyed legendary creature of folkloric legend. Said to resemble the Loup-Garou of Quebec or the Rougarou of Louisiana, this beast was supposedly the result of opportunistic voodoo practitioners taking advantage of the societal upheaval or that the natural disaster had drove the beast from its hiding spot. Sadly, children became the prime victim for this supposed beast, kidnapping or viciously mutilating the unsuspecting kids who lay vulnerable under tarps. Reuters covered the neighborhood watch groups and patrols that sought out the beast and tried to prevent the nightly horror through public lynchings. The sad truth was soon revealed. Poor children were indeed being kidnapped and smuggled by human trafficking gangs, some even being sold by their desperate parents. It's little wonder that Haitians have used their unique syncretic culture to insulate and interpret a tragic historical record. Despite the unspeakable horrors of slavery, financial ruin, foreign occupation, dictatorships, and countless natural disasters, Haitian Creole culture has remained vibrant and evolving. Being a product of the only successful slave revolt in the Caribbean, the nation maintains very strong African roots that strongly influence the French syncretic exterior. Here can be found the set of beliefs called voodoo transmitted by slaves originating in Benin. The core concepts of this system include the belief in an all-powerful creator being, intercessional spirits, and the categorizing of such around natural and societal needs, along with the worship of ancestors and the use of altars in nature. Group processionals and drumming accompanied the ritual dancing and offerings that helped frame many required acts of worship. Once on the island, slaves were banned from practicing their faith, but were forced to learn and adopt the Catholic faith of the French plantation owners. While banned from almost all other forms of public expression, 
those in bondage learned they could use the Catholic religion as both a channel for expression and a cover to continue their devotion to their old gods. Soon a mixture of old and new beliefs melded and developed amongst the enslaved population. The summoning of helpful spirits became intermeshed with Catholicism's fear of the devil, giving a cursed or malevolent bend to what was previously seen as an attempt to divine aid from the heavens. Voodoo priests are said to be able to summon the monster, but not control it directly. Other versions say that someone can willingly become a servant of a dark spirit and become imbued with these shape-shifting powers. As mentioned earlier, much of the legend revolves around the Jerouge and children. Kids are said to be its preferred target, though it doesn't hunt them using brute strength. Instead, the beast is able to use guile and trickery, as it needs to be invited over the threshold to seize a child. Voice mimicry and shape-shifting are said to be major tools in its arsenal. In parts of Haiti and the Dominican Republic, modern stories tell of the Jerouge even being able to drive a vehicle as part of the deception. This has been attributed to real-life cases of child predators and documented cases of kidnapping in rural villages along the border of the two nations. As compared to the Loup Garou, or the Rougarou, the Jerouge seems to maintain much more of a human-like quality and intellect. The beast can transmit its condition to others through a bite, but Haitian beliefs suggest that those who are greedy or lie can be susceptible to be seduced for transformation. Even the description of the beast varies from a human-like tall, thin, hairy figure to a muscular wolf that runs on all fours. This, too, reflects the syncretic origin of the legend itself. One final note states that it can be contained and defeated by pure iron, especially if this is shaped into a ring to be thrown over the beast's head. This will force the shapeshifter back into their vulnerable form and the creature can be dispatched. I grew up on stories of the island of St. Lucia told to me by my parents from their honeymoon in the 1980s. So there was no doubt in my mind that I too would one day reach this land of volcanoes, lush mountainous jungle and black sand beaches. The chance came in 2014 when I was blessed to marry my beautiful wife. I immediately suggested the island for our honeymoon and she readily agreed. One rainy night at the end of our stay, having gone to the restaurant to pick up some late night snacks, I was about to walk up the hill to my suite when some staff delivered a strange warning. Stay on the lighted path and if you hear your wife's voice calling out from the darkness, don't answer and walk the opposite direction, for she uses the cover of weather and the vulnerabilities of men. Though having plenty of liquid courage from our dinner, this piece of advice made me stop and inquire further. Who is she? I said. The Sukuyant, the group replied. After seeing my intrigued look, one of the staff members went on to explain that this is a folkloric creature and similar to a siren or vampire. Usually appearing in the form of an old lady by day, she deploys a familiar voice to lure unsuspecting victims. Also said to be able to take the shape of a ball of brilliant light by shedding its skin, this creature can enter households to seek the blood it needs to sustain itself. This monster can be defeated by salt and also can be hampered by spreading grains of rice, which legend says the Sukuyant must count. Its true vulnerability is the hidden space in which it stores its skin during its nightly forays into the countryside. Caves and trees are said to be prime locations, but the creature will be destroyed if it has no skin to place back on during the day. St. Lucia is located in the southern Antilles, set between Martinique to the north and St. Vincent to the south. Its breathtaking natural scenery and welcoming Creole culture make it one of the most desired destinations in the Caribbean to this very day.
Historically, the island has changed hands between French and British 14 times, eventually split between the two nations, finally emerging under a British flag in 1814, but retaining a significant French Creole culture and connections to nearby Francophone islands. The Seven Years' War brought rapid change to the Lesser Antilles or Windward Islands. Imperial sovereignty switched in the blink of an eye, and centralizing surveys were undertaken that saw widespread monocultural sugar production as the goal. Formerly semi-autonomous maroon and fully autonomous native zones were now given over to government parceled land. Thriving communities of mixed race peoples had existed outside the formerly fluid boundaries of imperial rule, but now they were subject to both capricious and restrictive racial definition laws. In the French Atlantic former Kalinago territory of St. Lucia, formerly free mixed race people were subjected to a stricter racial social hierarchy developed on Saint-Domingue. The infamous Code Noir was not known by that term until almost 40 years later. Proclaimed by Louis XIV in 1685, the collection of slave codes was originally referred to as the Edict of March 1685. It slowly morphed into the ordinances and finally the shorthand term of Black Codes by 1720 in the French Antilles. Historian Brett Rushforth writes, The law grew out of a series of power struggles between the enslaved and their would-be masters. These struggles, first registered in local acts designed to solve immediate human problems, expressed masters and slaves opposing interpretations of slavery and competing aspirations for life in the colonies. This reveals not only the ideals of French masters, but also the actions of enslaved Africans and Indians whose daily assertions of their own humanity challenged the fiction of their status as property. As racial hierarchies solidified, it was the mixed-race free Creole women who became targets of European authorities. Their social independence and freedom of movement set inappropriate standards for the enslaved population, and authorities feared their continued privileges would lead to the creation of another social class not beholden to the current model. The leading role these women usually took in the syncretic communities on the islands became the target of both the official ire and cultural containment. Similar to stories of witchcraft that sought to label and constrain women seen as bucking the societal trend or existing on the outskirts of said society, stories of the Sukuyant sought to rein in women whose actions seemed to threaten the racial and moral boundaries of the time. Thanks so much for listening to New York, Quebec, and the water route to the center of the world, and I hope you have a spooky 2023 Halloween. Thank you.